Thanks, you guys. Um, so I'm Anna. I'm a compulsive overeater. It's, it's I'm so grateful to be here with you guys tonight. It's so lovely to see familiar faces. Um, uh, and I just want to really thank everyone who's making this happen with your service. Um, so I'm I'm the new kid on the block, I think. So I'm <laughs> I've um, been in program two and a, been absent two and a half years. Um, my abstinence is that I don't eat for fun anymore. So that means I eat planned meals and snacks. Uh, there's other foods I choose not to eat, but that's my bottom line abstinence. I came in about 240 pounds and I'm about 150 pounds now. Um, I have a sponsor, I have sponsees, um, and I'm just really grateful. Um, so what I would like to do tonight is talk a little bit about kind of what it was like before, how I got to OA, and what my experience, what happened with that. And, and then really talk a little bit about gratitude as a practice, because that's been a big part of my, um, of my recovery. And it's really, I don't know, it's just been something that's really trickled into a lot of areas of my life beyond the food. And it's been really, really useful, especially when things are hard for me. So what it was like is that I have always had a very, I've, always been a volume eater. I have always eaten compulsively. And I, I always knew that it was weird. And um, I, so I grew up in a family with people who had lots of other compulsions. And I had a family member who was in a different 12 step program and did really well with it. But beyond that, like, I have at least two compulsive overeaters in my family, there's people who have weird relationships with games, like all kinds of stuff. So everybody's doing their own nutty thing about their compulsions. And I was right there with them. And the difference is, is that um, I think I just started a lot earlier. So I, I mean, I remember being three or four years old and my brother and I decided it would be a fun thing to do to take top ramen packages raw and sprinkle the MSG on it and then eat it. And he ate one because you're going to try anything once. And I was the one going back for a second round and it's not delicious. It's just not good. <laughs> it's like, you know, and the other thing that was happening. And so stuff like that was happening all the time. And that was in the context where I didn't, I wasn't driving, didn't have my own money, like, and I was still getting into trouble. And I, I mean, the family lore is that I was eating as much as my dad was, and people thought it was funny and it kind of wasn't funny. And it, was also not really funny that food was my solution when things got difficult at all. So it, I used to eat like the way people smoke cigarettes where it's like, you know, something bad happens and that, what do you do? You think, oh gosh, I really need a whatever. And that was, that was my life. And and so at one point I worked a first step where I had just a list of adjectives about, you know, what was it like? And you know, it was complicated. It was expensive. Um, it was complicated because it's like, A, there's the complication of having a bigger body. So I hit 200 pounds by the time I was heading into high school, um, finishing by the time I was finishing high school. And it's like, there's just some complications about having a bigger size body. And, and some of it is the nonsense of fat phobia and people being horrible to each other. But some of it's just the physics of like, your body just hurts. <laughs> your body hurts and it is not fun. And um, so it's complicated, right? And it's expensive and it's expensive because you're eating your face off all the time. Like I, so recently I was redoing my budget and I realized 
And the financial recovery has been something that's been amazing in this program. And part of it is because I used to have a line item for certain specific fast food and coffee restaurants. And that was a significant chunk of my budget. Like I had gotten up to like $20,000 in debt. And a big chunk of that was eating out and buying nonsense that I didn't need. And um, so, yeah, it was super expensive. It was also really isolated and disconnected and small and afraid all the time. Like, and because what I would do is I would be eating while doing other compulsive behaviors at the same time by myself. And my running joke or way of describing that scenario was, you know, I in the dark covered in carbs. And it's like that, that's what was happening. And so, and I knew it was weird and I knew it was addictive. And I had friends that had addictions to other things or would be interested in drugs and alcohol. And as a kid, I would say, you know, I really can't try that because I'm already addicted to food and I can't do anything. And God help me if I ever pick up something that's a chemical. And at one point I met a woman who had gotten recovered from anorexia and she and I had this great conversation in high school. And I was like, you know, someday you and I are going to go eat lunch together and we're just going to eat the stinking lunch. Like that's my goal. Someday we'll get there. And I'm just so grateful to her for being open about her, the ways that she was weird about food, because I needed to hear that I wasn't the only one who felt this way. And we were at totally opposite ends of the spectrum, but she was talking about food and her feelings about food in the same way that I did. And I just really needed that. And so I did, I am, I am also really grateful that uh, my mom uh, had, how do I put this? She, she has an, her own relationship with food and she has her own relationship with diets. And as a result, I was raised to know that diets were not the answer and that diets didn't work. And I'm really grateful for that because otherwise, I can totally imagine where another chunk of my life would have gone. I did do a commercial weight loss three times. And the first time I lost 60 pounds and the second, and that, and then I kept it off for a while because I was living without a car and just exercising all the time. It wasn't a nutty relationship. I was still eating like a crazy person. I just was exercising so much because that's how I got around that my weight was able to be stable. Um, then I gained it back because now I had a car and money. See also the budgetary impacts of this disease. Um, and uh, then I gained, so I gained weight. I said, okay, I need to come back to that commercial weight loss. And I lasted about six months and I lost about 40 pounds, but by the end I was getting really nutty about it. And it was making me crazy. Like I would be bursting into tears standing in the kitchen because I can't make all the things fit. And still trying and basically doing trying to do, um, con including my favorite binge foods, but just controlling them really hard. And I can only do that for so long. So I gave that up. And the third time I tried, I lasted about two weeks before I got to crazy town. And so I said, I can't do this anymore. And so for a long time, I just tried to maintain my weight and not get bigger, but that wasn't working very well. But so there was this long stretch where I knew it was crazy. I knew it was hurting me. And I uh, didn't really know what else to do. And so, oh, and so the, 
just kind of paint a picture. Like the way the food looked before I came to OA goes like this. Step one, you have breakfast. You come to work. You purchase a sugary coffee drink. You then have lunch and then you have second lunch and then you stop at a drive-thru on the way home and then you have dinner. And then maybe you have some extra stuff afterwards. And that's the day. It's, you know, it's a lot of calories. And um, I am grateful to my body for putting up with the nonsense that I put it through for so long. Um, anyway, so what happened is, is that my body started for a long time, I was stable at 220. And then my body started getting bigger and it started to freak me out because I tried to like have some controls around my food and monitor my calories and stuff and do that. And it wasn't working. And my body was slowly getting bigger. And I knew that I could tolerate being the size that I was, but I also knew it's like, it's 38 years old. It's like, this is, if I continue at this pace, I am going to be a very large person and I am not a very tall person. And, um, so that's what happened. And I had looked seriously into surgery and decided not to, because I knew, and I like seriously considered it. And what I realized in myself is that I was going to get the surgery and then keep eating and then not have a good outcome. So I knew that wasn't going to work. And my doctor, meanwhile, I'm seeing my doctor, right. And I'm like, okay, I have a weird relationship with food. I am not willing to lose weight. Please don't give me, please don't sass me about it. And she was awesome and very supportive. And I'm so grateful because when I finally went to her and I said, okay, my body is still slowly getting bigger. I'm worried about it. And I can't do surgery. You know, what do you think? And she had brought up, there was a medication, but I was like, I'm going to need, I'm 38 years old. I'm going to need to take this medication the rest of my life. And that's not a good option for me. And I, so I, I went to her and I said, okay, I'm not going to do the meds. I'm not going to do the surgery. What else you got? And she's like, well, you could go to a nutritionist. And I was like, oh God, I'm going to pay buckets of money to lie to this poor woman <laughs> because that's what I had done before. And she's like, or you can try away. And there's this moment and I'm so grateful to my family member who had been really open about being in the 12 steps because I knew the 12 steps worked because I had seen it. I had seen that this person got better and stayed better, but I also knew that what you're, and I didn't know it at the time, but they work a pretty traditional program where, um, they go to like four or five meetings a week. They're always working the steps. Like this is just the, the situation I grew up in. So I assumed that's what you're supposed to do. So I knew that the 12 steps would work. I knew I would need to go forever. And I knew I would need to go to meetings to get a sponsor. Like, so I, I already knew that. And so I came home from this doctor appointment and pulled up. I'm a podcast person. So I was like, okay, I wonder if there's any like OA podcasts and stumbled across one of the LA speaker feeds and listened to a podcast all that weekend and heard people telling my story. And I'm like, oh yes, this is where I need to be <laughs> because these people are talking about doing things with food that I do with food and they seem happy and willing to be recorded on a podcast. <laughs> so I um, saw her on like a Wednesday and I ended up going to like the Sunday Edmonds meeting like the following week. And I happened to be a meeting where there was like three different people who had lost a hundred pounds and kept it off and seemed happy. And I was like, oh, 
I'm, I'm in the right place. This is where I need to be. Um, yeah. And so I just had the gift of willingness. And so I knew I needed to get a sponsor. And so, and I knew you're supposed to go to more than one meeting. So I started going to meetings, started asking around. Um, and at one of my meetings found this amazing woman who is like, 40 years older than I am and was willing to take me on. And she was the perfect sponsor for me at the time. And we started going through the steps. And one of the things she did say is she said, yeah, you're going to need a food plan. Cause I kept hearing people say, well, abstinence is, you know, abstaining from compulsive overeating while you're moving towards a healthy body weight. And I was like, I have no idea what a healthy body weight is like, and if someone wants to put, put my before picture up, if they haven't already, feel free. Um, anyway, so I knew, I, I, uh, I was like, I don't know what that means. Like I've been 240 for a long time, 220, 240. Like, I know that's too much. I know the CDC number is super scary for me. And she said, well, why don't you go to your, the nutritionist and, um, get a food plan. And so we did that. Um, yeah. So this is me slightly lower than my top weight. So I'm five, two. So for perspective, like that's part of, was part of the situation. Thank you. Um, so my abstinence is that I don't eat for fun anymore. So what that means is I eat three meals a day, two optional snacks, nothing in between. Um, and it, and to do that, to hit that, to reach that goal, I choose to abstain from desserts, deep fried foods, any from this, anything from the snack aisle, pizza and uh, sweet beverages are kind of iffy. So if I'm having weird emotions at all, I'm super careful about sweet beverages. So, oh, and I only weigh myself once a month because early in recovery, I started weighing myself every three days and it was getting really weird. And so my sponsor and I decided that needed to be part of my abstinence. And, um, yeah. And I think the key thing I learned in the rooms is um, that I think the most important thing was learning that I'm just not a special kind of broken, that I'm just regular broken, that I, I thought that I was, had uniquely terrible problems. Like, I, I think if I had, if you'd have asked me the day before I went to the meeting, I probably would have said, well, I have a money problem. I have a food problem. I have a compulsive video gaming problem. Um, I'm super lonely and I'm kind of bitter at my coworkers all the time. And, um, it's funny how, when you stop doing your compulsive behavior, all of that stuff kind of gradually gets better. And so what, and I did this by learning from you guys, by hanging out in meetings and hearing how people did things. And so what I started to see is First, so the physical stuff was a slow change, which was great for me. Um, and, but the big thing that changed right away was just the incredible decrease in my anxiety and the increase in my peace, you know, just being a lot, because the thing about eating compulsively is yes, it numbs you out. And that was my intent. Like I would say, I've had a bad day. I would like to go to this drive-through and get a thing, get a giant size thing. And I will be numb and I'll feel better. But the problem with that is it doesn't work that well and it doesn't last that long. So it's like, I would have maybe 10 minutes 
15 minutes of feeling blissfully numb and then go right back into it. And what I learned working the steps is that, and using tools is that the tools help you to tolerate the discomfort long enough to work the steps, which then makes you feel better. And then you don't need to be numbed out as often. And when you do need to be numbed out, you're, or when you do need comfort, it's like, it's not so loud that you have to turn to food. It's, you're able to tolerate it long enough to do things that regular people do, like talk to people, get a hug, have a bath, like all those things that you hear about that you're supposed to do for self-care that seem impossible when you're um, eating all the time. Um, the other thing that got a lot better is finances. So I'm out of debt. I paid off my student loans. That was kind of a miracle. Um, I'm working a different job. So also amazing when you are um, able to, what is it, the unity of purpose? The, the primary purpose, the, the unity of purpose tradition, like the, we're here for compulsive overeaters, when you apply that to your work and you say, my primary purpose is to be a good employee, is to help my coworkers, who do you like get better jobs <laughs> and that it, you get, you get raises and that happens. And I didn't think those two things were connected. Also, when you are not leaving your desk all the time to go uh, get more food, you are more efficient. And, and that's just completely surprising, completely surprising. And at an early meeting, I was hearing someone talk about that and it seemed completely mystical. So I just wanted to share that here in case someone needs to hear it. Um, yeah, it's, it happens. Like those ninth step promises are no joke and it's completely flummoxing. My relationships got a lot better. <laughs> that's the big thing. So. God bless my husband. So I had been married already before I came to OA and early, we weren't married yet. And uh, nine years before OA, um, I, we were moving in together and we had friends come help us move. And we got, um, went out, took everyone out for pizza. And I probably put away the, maybe like, so we had a ton of pizza there. And then I think I came home and ate more pizza. And I think I probably ate the equivalent of maybe two large pizzas on my own. And later that night, I thought I was having a heart attack and called 911. And it was only after being an OA nine years later that I finally spilled the beans to my husband and said, yeah, that was because I think I just binged out too much and made myself physically ill. And so he has been very patient. I worked some amends with him. I will owe him living amends on many fronts. But one of the things he's said is that I'm just a lot easier to live with. And I believe that it's like, I'm able to be kind. I'm able to be um, patient and he's not dealing with somebody who's freaking out and anxious and trying to numb out all the time. That's the big thing, you know, being able to connect. And so what it's like now is like, life's a lot simpler. Life's a lot simpler. Um, my body's different. Um, one of the things I promised myself is that when I got under 200 pounds, I would go horseback riding because a lot of places won't let you do it if you're over 200 pounds. And uh, then COVID happened. And so I finally got to do that um, this fall. And that was really cool. I, my chronic pain is a lot less because my, my back still has problems. I think just mostly because I spent too many years over 
220 and over at 5'2, like that's just not good for your your body. But that's like a lot better. Like, like it turned it down from like an eight to like a two on a scale of one to ten. Uh, my asthma is a lot better. I didn't think that was related, but apparently it is. Um, and you know, the thing that the thing that really makes it happen for me is just really that it's a one day at a time program. And so I have daily practices that I do that I need to do to keep me sane enough to be able to work the program, to be able to continue to be feeling better. And, um, so the minutes, my, Anna. perfect. Thank you. Uh, the way my day goes now is that I start my day by, um, doing a 10th step inventory and I, write it down. And then I do some journaling and then I read some literature, usually voices of recovery or for today. Sometimes if I'm in a hurry or traveling, that I do the AA daily reflections. Um, and then I do some prayers and I pray for other people. May they get the highest, may they get exactly what they most need at exactly the right moment and exactly the right way all in support of the highest good for all involved, whatever that is. And then I say my first three steps. And I say all the things I'm grateful for. And then I live my day. And, oh, and I plan my food in the morning because that's when my brain is the least likely to make nutty decisions. So I plan my food in the morning and then I do my day. And I usually listen to some kind of OA podcast at lunch. Um, I work from home. So that's my sort of lunch buddy. I do outreach, go to two or three meetings a week and sponsor people and all that kind of stuff. So that's sort of the flow of my day now. And things are just a lot simpler, a lot happier. Um, and yeah, but I think, so the piece I want to spend a little time of talking about is gratitude and kind of how I end up working that as a daily practice. And so every day at some point early in program, and I don't know who it is that told me this, maybe it was my sponsor, but, um, is that somebody said, it's a good idea to have a gratitude list. And so I uh, got in the habit of opening my prayers by stating all the things I'm grateful for. And it has to be true. And I um, also heard somebody say, it's helpful when you're angry at people or frustrated or whatever uh, to, to focus on your gratitude for them. And so I tend to focus on the people I interact with the most because they're the most likely to bump, bump into things and, um, and do that. So I do that. But the piece that I've been doing a lot is that usually for me, one of the early solutions for resentment and anger and fear is gratitude. And, and, um, it's pretty magical. It's pretty magical. And so my, my, my favorite story is that I, uh, my comp the company I work for other companies hire us. And, uh, so very often I'm in meetings with people where it's the employees for the other company. And um, one of our clients had this woman working with them who was very prickly and not helpful. Like, oh, I'm going to do that two weeks later. Oh, I haven't done that yet. I'm going to do that. And then being sort of rude in meetings, like she was just generally not a very nice person. And I was really struggling. And so I started to try to do extra gratitudes for this person. And man, it is difficult when it is somebody prickly that's making you mad and, but it has to be true and you have to believe it. And so what really helped me was it's like, okay, I'm grateful for this person because she really cares about doing the right thing. 
I'm grateful for this person because she is trying to be honest in the meeting. I'm grateful for this person because she's doing her best. And just on and on and on. And the amazing thing is that it shifted. Now, she was still not a stellar employee for this other company, and she was still not a warm and fuzzy person, but it must have done something because it became easier for me to work with her without getting triggered. And it's important because what I used to do when I was working and get, would get frustrated and in the food is that I would be pissed off, go get sugary coffee plus dessert, and then have like extra food. And this is what would happen. And so for me, gratitude is something I have to work all the time. And um, so I just offer that to you in case that resonates this weekend. If you start to get frustrated at somebody, it has to be true and it has to be something you believe. Um, otherwise it doesn't work. Then, then you're just trying to fool yourself. But um, yeah, and, and so, I guess what I would say overall is that OA continues to be the least crazy thing I've done about my food or body yet. And it's been great. I would say um, for me, I am somebody who needs at least one meeting a week. One is not really enough for me. Like I need regular reminders from other human beings of what it means to be a good human being, what it means to behave myself, how do you deal with these problems? Like I need to be hearing that stuff more often. Um, I'm also somebody who really needs a sponsor and needs to be of service. So one of the things I track in my 10th step is um, whether or not I've done something for other people. And- uh, Five minutes, Anna. Thanks, Jerry. Um, and- for me, I do track my service in a way, and that's really important. So sponsorship, outreach, sharing at a meeting as a service, being a Zoom host, whatever it is you can do. But for me also, really anything I do for another human being does help my recovery. So I do a fair amount of dishes now. I never did dishes before. Once my grandmother came over and did my dishes because I was too in my nonsense in order to do dishes for three weeks. So I do dishes. I pay bills, I weed the garden, come to OA, try to call people, all those good things. And, you know, that's what really keeps me, um, keeps me here and keeps me connected to what is really true instead of what my disease wants me to think is true. Um, so, but most of all, I'm grateful for all of you guys. Thank you so much for hanging in there. I know it's late for the East Coast and, uh, I hope that everyone has a really great um, Thanksgiving and I'd be happy to answer any questions.